Welcome to the Harlan Cohen Podcast. I am Harlan Cohen, and I'm so excited to be with you today, be in your corner. Got a little bit like NPR smooth radio voice today. I'm really digging this whole podcast thing. So today's five big questions. It's a new concept where I go through some of the questions that people have asked me over the week, and some of these I've addressed on social media, but I want to do a deeper dive and really give you a little more background when it comes to why I answer questions the way I do. And I'd also like to know, how would you answer these questions? Oh, you know, I need to I need to talk about our sponsor first. It's like, our, it's like I need to talk about our sponsor. I'm the one who does this podcast. There's no, there's not even anyone right now telling me what I need to do. This episode is sponsored by Best First Year. Best First Year is my college coaching program where I help students and parents navigate the change from high school to college. So the program's for people in high school, it's for people in college. There's group coaching. There's one-on-one coaching. You can go to harlancone.com. You can also click on my bio and any of my social media, and you can get a link to this. So check that out. And let's get into our first question. Hi, I'm writing in regards to your most recent post. While I myself am not Jewish, my boyfriend is and is becoming stressed out with the recent events. Is there anything I can do to help him and show my support without overstepping? So this is a tricky situation because your boyfriend is really in a place where he's probably not okay. And I think asking that question, are you okay? is such a loving place to start because it is so open-ended and it acknowledges that you probably aren't okay, but you want to ask that question, are you okay? And the next thing is to listen. Now, I've had a lot of people who have been communicating with me about what's been going on in Israel. And I I have to tell you, I talked to my therapist yesterday and I had a lengthy conversation and I had to talk to him in that space because it's really one of the only spaces that's truly safe. You know, even when I talk to my family, there's emotion and, you know, they have the same last name. But when I talk to my therapist who doesn't have the same last name, but even if he did have the same last name, he'd be my therapist. So it wouldn't matter. When I talk to my therapist, there's this safety. You know, he's not like, you're a bad Jew. (laughs) Can you imagine my therapist calling me a bad Jew or he's like, he judged me in any way. And when it comes to what's going on in Israel, I am so like, I don't have the words to tell you how devastated I am seeing what I saw. And I'm not going to make this about that. I, I want to be a source of light. I want to help people to find support. And this is what we worked through in my, ther- in my therapy session. I was able to really clarify what my role is, is I'm the person who's in your corner, regardless of who you are, as long as you don't want to harm me, right? That's kind of the thing is like, as long as you don't want to, as long as you don't want to do something horrible to me, right? Simply because I exist and because of my religion. And I can tell you, I'm somebody who wants everybody to live in peace, to be able to be in their homes with their families and to be surrounded by love and light and peace. So for students who are shaken up and getting back to this girlfriend, it's it's so kind of you to want to help your boyfriend, you ask him if he's okay, and then you give him room to feel whatever he feels. Because a lot of people will engage and they're not really looking to hear what someone has to say. They'll engage and they're looking to tell you how you should think and how you should feel. And in this situation, it's so loving just to say, are you okay? And then to listen and then to direct your boyfriend to the places where he could be supported, where he could find community who understand him simply because he exists. 
and help him to find some steady ground. And that, and you could participate in that too. Like that's a really beautiful thing. And whoever you are and whatever your life experiences are, find those organizations, find those people in those places so that you can find security. I've had some friends reach out to me and their kids are really struggling. And I've had lots of students reach out to me, uh, Palestinian students, Arab students, Jewish students. And especially because I'm Jewish, I understand the, the Jewish organizations. And when friends reach out to me or parents of friends, it's, okay, wh- where are those places and how can you direct your child to those places? Or if you're a student, you put yourself in those places and you, you just exist with those people. And that helps. It helps you to be grounded. And this is something like, let's pull this, let's go to like 10,000 feet. Whoever you are, whatever your experiences are, when you find people who share a similar background and life experiences, you can be grounded. And when you're grounded, you can be more comfortable to listen to different points of view without feeling as threatened or uh, feeling as reactive. So with students living with a, you know, a, an LGBTQ student who's living with a roommate, I encourage them, you find your LGBTQ community so that you have a stable foundation. So if something comes up with that roommate or you share who you are or in something that, that like rattles you, you have your people and you have your places. So for students who are on campuses, who are in new places surrounded by new friends, this is really a wonderful opportunity to connect with people who are going to be even more open and loving and will want to accept you. And I, I think that there's that side of it as well. There's also like the dangerous, scary side of it. And hopefully your campus communities are protecting you and making sure that if people have things to share, they're sharing it in a way that is as non-threatening as possible so that people can live in in, in, in harmony or at least coexist without that sense of fear on these campuses. I know a lot of students have been struggling with this and again, encouraging them to find their people in places. If you have a spiritual leader that you grew up with, like reach out to them, talk to a youth group leader, talk to people throughout your life, the people who've been in your corner throughout your life. One other thing I'll mention is uh, parents who are listening. If you are really concerned and you're worried and you're fearful for the safety of your kids, reaching out to those centers where there's community for your students and and asking the directors or following the social media. I saw somebody at the University of Oregon and they're Hillel and uh, they've been posting really great updates, just letting parents and families know about what's happening in the community and how they're working through those challenges to make sure that everybody can be as safe as possible. But if you, if you have questions, uh, then certainly reach out. I think that this is an unprecedented time and everybody wants to know that they're going to be safe and okay, which is an impossible thing, regardless of any time we're, we're, we're working through. But those leaders can really pinpoint the specific actions and steps that each campus is taking to ensure the safety. I am in your corner. And I will continue to direct you, support you, and help you and guide you, just like this girlfriend wants to support that boyfriend. I would also like to do everything I can to support all of you. And my heart goes out to all of those who are suffering and are in pain. And I am just, um, I want this to pass and I want people to be okay and heal. 
I, I can't talk anymore about this because I, I just I can't fix. That's the other thing. I can't fix this. I can't fix it. It's a really helpless feeling. But I think you understand where I'm from, where I'm coming from. Let's get to the next question. Harlan, my boyfriend of two years broke up with me two months ago before the semester started, and now I don't know how to function. I miss him so much. I want to try again. I asked him two days after he broke up with me if he was willing to give me another chance, and he said no. How can I let go? I feel so much guilt and shame, but incredible love for him. How do I deal with this while I have school? I just want to talk to him, but he cut me off completely. This is so hard. And in the video that I shared, I summed it up, helping the student to see you know, from the time you're like 16 to 18, because that's when you probably started dating when you're 16, who you were as an individual. You know, your identity was so wrapped up in someone else. And now you're in this new place surrounded by new people. And you, know, you, you have so much instability and uncertainty. And of course, you want to go back to this person. But you haven't really had a lot of time to get to know you, to really love you, to like you even, because you've been so connected to someone else. And that's what happens. And this is a bigger problem. Listen, I love dating and relationships. I think it's so important. But how can you form your individual identity while still being in a relationship? And this is why I encourage students who are in long distance relationships to figure out how to be happy while you're apart. Because if you could be happy while you're apart, you're going to be even happier together. If you're miserable when you're apart, it just means you're miserable. And it means that you're looking for someone to fix you and solve your problems. And when you have to rely on someone else to fix you and solve your problems, that's an imbalance in the relationship. When I was in college, I had a a long distance relationship. It was a miracle I found a girlfriend. Um, I couldn't believe she liked me and even loved me. I was like, really? I couldn't, because I... I struggled with the ladies, you know. This is why I'm obsessed with rejection because I, I got rejected so much. Eventually, I was a freshman in college. She was a senior in high school. Her father compared our relationship to a dying puppy because I kept leaning and leaning and leaning on her. She was having the time of her life and I was really a burden. So she called me and told me she had to end the relationship and she had to shoot the puppy. She shared that wonderful analogy that her father made. And I was devastated because without her, I had no love in my life. Without her, I was left alone. And so many students don't like themselves and don't really love themselves. So when you're in a serious relationship that has been part of your life during some of the most formative times, it becomes very hard to be on your own. And I know this, this, this girlfriend's like, I want him back. I want him back. Of course you want him back because he's stability, he's stable. This is why even when significant others treat other people like crap, and I'm not saying that's, what hap- that's what's happening here, But when you can't be by yourself and stand on your own two feet, you lean on someone else, even if it becomes unhealthy. This is another reason why I encourage everyone to have options. You live in a world of options. When you know that you're going to be okay, and even if you're in love and everything is great, if you know you're going to be okay, you always have the ability to set boundaries, say what you think, express how you feel, and not compromise who you are when in a relationship because you know you're going to be okay no matter what, you're going to be okay. And all of you are going to be okay. When I talk to students who are starting long distance relationships, I say, here's what's going to happen. You're either going to stay together or you're not going to stay together. But either way, you have to be okay. And that sounds kind of cold, but like that's the reality. You're either going to stay together or you're not going to stay together. So you need to make sure you're going to be okay, no matter what. And these are things that they don't teach us. This is why 
I really encourage students to to experiment with dating and relationships. Someone on this post, this was a this was a a, a post social media post, and someone's like, people should just be focusing on their studies, and I'm like, dude, I didn't say dude, but I was like, your personal relationships outlast your professional life, right? When people retire, they still have to maintain relationships and our romantic relationships oftentimes will inform our other relationships. One of the things that I've been, that I've been getting so good at, this is one of the reasons I think I'm still married is I've gotten great at shifting expectations. See, when we have expectations and they're unmet, that's a problem, right? If I expect my wife to say certain things or do certain things and I'm fixed in my expectations, if my expectations aren't met, either she's the problem or I'm the problem. But what I've recognized is there is a universal rejection truth, this law of nature that says not everyone and everything's going to always respond to me the way I always want. And if I want to be able to really be present and connected, instead of being so fixed with my expectations, when I don't get what I want, I need to either change the timeline or I need to shift the expectation. Instead of focusing on outcome, I could focus on the experience, the things that I say and do that will create an outcome because a lot of times the outcome is a result of the process. And if I'm so focused on the outcome and I don't examine my role in the process, then I'm always going to blame someone else. I have to be willing to examine my own role and my process to get that outcome. So I've gotten really great at being able to change the timeline, shift, looking at outcome from, shift looking at expectations from outcome to process, and also recognizing there are times where I need to just change my expectations. Like I need to change my expectations because if I don't change them and there's no way for me to get what I want and there's no way for someone to give me what I want and those expectations are not like fundamentally important, well then I can change them. And even if they are fundamentally important, there's this thing of compromise. I think we could see this and connected to all different parts of our life when we set these firm expectations. A student who's a high achiever and they're like, I got to get an A. And if they don't get an A, they feel like they're not as valued or, or hopeless or they feel shame. It's like, here's the deal. In order to get the grade, you got to focus on the process. And you also have to recognize sometimes you don't do it the right, right the first time. Sometimes it takes time to get what you want. You got to iterate. You got to practice. So you shift the timeline. All right, we're going to dig deeper. I love this whole expectation thing. I'm going to write a book about this because I think expectations, understanding expectations, historical expectations, cultural expectations, and also being able to embrace rejection and the discomfort that comes with not always getting what we want. That's the key. Like that's the secret sauce. All right. With this, oh, so with this student, I told her, you got to work to love yourself, got to work to like yourself, surround yourself with people who will support you, encouraged her to sweat because sweating, like exercising, not just like to sit there and eat hot food and sweat. Although that does help as well. The brain, uh, uh, what is it? When you, when you eat hot food, you know what I'm talking about. Your brain produces, um, endorphins 
right? So sweat, you exercise, you put your, I wonder if that's why like hot food helps because like when you sweat, it releases endorphins. That's so interesting. Probably is, but you want to sweat. You want to put yourself in places where you can do things that they give you a sense of, of joy and fulfillment while on your own. And uh, you want to put yourself in places where you can be surrounded by interesting people and talk about your feelings and talk to people can, who can help you to process those. Because ultimately, that is going to be what's going to help you more than anything else. And then when this dude comes back, you're going to be like, I don't think so, buddy. You had your chance. Boom. Next. All right. Let's get to our next question. It's at or near midterms for a lot of people. I know probably scheduling, oh, I know you probably schedule posts, but a reminder that midterm grades are a good indicator of a final grade. If nothing changes, uh, then uh, you might be in trouble. And if you haven't checked grades, it's probably a good time to take a deep breath and make that happen. Hopefully as a student, you are uh, like on top of your grades. Parents, I, I really discourage you to check grades, especially for kids in college, because this is not about you. And I know some of you have strong feelings about this. Oh, we're getting back to expectations. You expect your student to do certain things. But if your student doesn't have those same expectations and they're always doing things for you, are they really doing these things for the right reason? And shouldn't they be motivated to do the things that are going to help them ultimately as they continue through life? Anyway, checking your grades. Midterm grades, I want to be clear. They can be difficult. And for parents, it's really important to understand this is a huge transition. Again, new place, new teachers, new routines, new challenges, new students, different rigor. I mean, there's so many factors that go into these grades. And I tell students, if you aren't doing as well as you want to do, be kind to yourself. The first thing is be kind to yourself because you don't know if the person sitting next to you has already taken this class and this is review. You don't know how somebody processes information, you might not have to study. Like you might not have study skills because you were able to get by in high school, but now you're, you're really having to do more work. So how do you work through that? The only way to start in this process is to be kind to yourself. Because if you're, if you're keeping secrets, and that's the other thing, don't keep secrets. Because if you keep secrets, then you can't get help. Some people feel stupid. They don't want to talk to their teachers because they're like, oh, they're going to think I'm dumb. And I remind them, they're the ones grading your work, right? Like they've seen it. This is not a big, unexpected mystery for them. These people have knowledge. They want to help you. They want to support you. They want to be there for you. So give yourself permission to be imperfect and get the help you need. Don't keep secrets and you'll get better. You will get better. And this is going to turn into a great experience because it's going to force you to talk to that teacher. It's going to force you to go to the tutoring center. It's going to force you to get some peer-to-peer -peer type of help that's going to make a difference in your life. And now you have the motivation to do it. And for parents, you know, shaming kids, uh, blaming, grades are a symptom of something happening in their social life, emotional life, physical life, or financial life, right? Social, emotional, physical, financial, academic. Those are the five big transitions. And academic is the one that tends to show what's happening in a different part of their life. And there's usually like some lag time because a student who's not emotionally regulated, a student who is not feeling like they have connection and feel like they matter, those are students who have a hard time reaching out and getting help and finding the resources. 
But as a person who's in their corner and for the students listening, recognizing like this is hard. Like this is so hard. This is one of the biggest challenges and changes you've faced. So be kind to yourself and find the people who can help you and put yourself in places where you can get access to those resources. All right, you got this. Celebrate your C's, D's, and F's in October. It's not like a, like a woohoo. Celebrate the fact that you can do something about them and then get the help you need and know that you are worthy and enough and you're at the school because this is where you're supposed to be. All right, we're at question number four. But do you feel like things are moving fast? Do you feel like it's, I don't know, I can't tell. I've been really into this. Like I'm in it. I have to tell you, I'm still a little like, I'm still uneasy about all of the, um, gosh, all the stuff we started the the, the podcast with. Um, but man, like my heart and light is in the right place. It really is. I hope that comes through. Okay. Is it possible for you to make a video on how to deal with teachers that are intimidating? <laughs> when, I, when I hear this question, I think of I think of one of these intimidating teachers. There was this class in college. It was like on the American presidents and it was this big paper you had to write and this teacher was so intimidating. Everybody thought it was intimidating. And he was just like the greatest guy. He was so cool. And I wrote this paper and I mean, I'm telling you, I was like maybe a 3.0 student in high school. I, I was not that, I was not at the top of my class. I really struggled, but I got an A on this, this paper. It's like a 20 page paper and I kicked its ass. And this teacher was great. And what I learned is that intimidating teachers, they're just people. They are just people. Some of them are miserable. Some of them are brilliant. And some of them are just brilliantly miserable. So instead of shying away from them, humanize them. They're just people. They're just people who are in this job. And if they're miserable and they're in this place of influence, how sad is that? Like, how sad is it when a teacher makes a student feel like shit and belittles them and and can't exercise enough empathy and compassion to to listen and try to validate or at least be present enough to not belittle someone and 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 degrade them and there's teachers who do that and honestly like if that person is if that's who that person is what a miserable what a miserable lump of person just a miserable ugh. so feel compassion be like wow what a sad character you don't say that to them then you can avoid them because they're just sad right you want to be around bright people lights these brilliant people who are kind sometimes they're so into their their subject matter and they might not affirm you right away or acknowledge you the way you want to be acknowledged. But those are the people who turn out to be great. That's what I was telling you about that teacher who um, was in that American president class. He was great. Man, what was his name? Mr. Barker, maybe? I can't remember. He was an older guy, probably much older now. Um, anyway, he was great. Intimidating teachers can be some of the most amazing people once you give them a shot, once you get to know them. Uh, a lot of you are so uncomfortable with who you are and your abilities that you get so intimidated. But I just want to remind you again, like you're enough. You're here because you should be here. And if you get to know someone and they're just not pleasant and not wonderful, then just sp give yourself space. You know, If they're impacting your ability to get the work done, you can talk to the department head, find some workarounds because you're going to find miserable, intimidating people throughout your life. This is just a dress rehearsal. This is practice. So when people are like, oh, I'm going to avoid all people who make me uncomfortable, I'm like, dude, you got to, you got to like go into it. You got to deal with it. You got to, you got to figure out how to work through this 
because this is this is low stakes. This is low stakes compared to many of the other people you're going to encounter who are just miserable, right? Just miserable people. So exercise compassion and see if this person is, is really uh, someone who has this facade. Once they get to know you and if you're a little vulnerable, if you, this is one of the things I love to do. I say to someone who's in a position of power, um, I'm really uncomfortable with you know, how I'm doing or you can even mention if someone's really intimidating. I did this, someone was like berating me online and I said, I'm really uncomfortable with this conversation. Um, it makes me feel like we're arguing and, and I don't want to argue or it makes me feel like uh, I'm you know, not smart enough or not enough and I really, you know, I just want to get the information. That uncomfortable thing diffuses the situation because things go from confrontation to conversation. Uncomfortable, it's great. All right, we have another one. Hi, when as a final year college student should you start applying for jobs and do you have any tips for people in my position? Love your videos, by the way. I usually never include the part where people are like, love your videos because I'm not great with compliments. But thank you. I appreciate it. I love doing these. Hope you enjoy these. So as a final year student, you need to get on this, okay? And I'm not putting too much pressure on you, but get to your career center now. Ideally, you should do this junior year, sophomore year, even your first year. You're going to be fine. Different majors have different timelines. And if you're asking me, it's probably a major that has a different timeline because for some majors, they do recruitment sophomore year. There's internships. There's a whole pipeline and a process. But go to your career center and ask your career counselor what type of employers they have visiting, how to get interviews, how to practice doing interviews, how to put your resume together, whatever you need to do to be positioned to get that job, ask them. Take advantage of these resources. Also, talk to your professors. Ask them if they can help you to connect with any people who are working in the fields that interest you. Also, ask them about their professional paths. Talk to anyone who you've met throughout your college experience. Talk to parents of your friends. Talk to family members who are working, who have connections. Ask other people who may know someone who's working in a field that interests you if you can connect with those people. I like to look at job search, not at that is getting a job, but aligning with people who are doing things that you find interesting. So it's aligning. And when you align with people, you have a genuine curiosity, you have a genuine interest. And then you could set up informational conversations. You could do this remote. You can do it face-to-face, grab some coffee, grab some lunch with someone, and then have some mentors like the career people in your corner or a professor in your corner as you have these conversations. And some of the questions to ask these people, how did you choose this job and what were some other careers you were interested in? How did you choose this particular company? Where else did you work? And what was the value you took away from each of those jobs? What was your most uncomfortable experience and how did you get through it? What suggestions do you have for someone who's in my position, who's looking for a job, who's doing, who's in this process? You could say, do you know of any employers who are looking for someone uh, who has qualities that, 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 I, that I have? Um, and then you can ask them, is it okay if I stay in touch with you? And you stay in touch with these people. You get information and you use that to figure out what you like, what you don't like, and you 
get to meet other people. Work through alumni networks. Tap into your spiritual organizations. Remember saying, go, go to the places where there are people who want to support you and help you, who know what it's like to be you, who have connections, whether it's cultural, culturally, through a department, through a school, and just be so curious. And the, the other thing is, you don't have to get a job that's going to be like the job you use the rest, like the job you, you have the rest of your life. People change jobs. I don't have the stats handy. I could look them up. But people have three, four different careers. Careers. They shift. And now with technology and what's going on in the world, oh, there's so many, there's so many. So here's here's your here's what you need to do. Be curious, experiment, and experience. And keep it legal. Be curious, experience what it's like to do what you think you want to do and experiment. And don't be afraid to get it wrong. And if you don't get a job that you want right out of school, get a different job. And there'll be lessons from that job that you can take with you and you can apply that to other careers, okay? Other types of fields because those skills can be transferred. I just think this is so exciting. So be curious and align, all right? And find your people and find your places so that you can get where you want to go. Just to wrap this up, because this is going to be this is going to be a constant. What do you want? What makes you uncomfortable? People, places, patience. I want a job. What makes you uncomfortable? I don't know how to find a job. Who are the people who could help you? People in the career center, alumni, friends, family, people who are doing jobs that I want to do, people who are new to work, people who are in mentor programs, people who are in professionals, uh, volunteering service programs. Where are the places I can get the, the help I need? Remember, people, places, patience. Career centers, young professional groups, academic orgs through your classroom, organizations, spiritual groups. If your parents are part of a of a of a, a particular company, corporation, you know, see if you can tap into those resources if they're benefits. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. So my mission for you is to ask yourself the question: What do you want? What makes you uncomfortable? I think people, places, patience. We're gonna do this again and again. This is the Winner Learn fr- framework. I have a, a book. It's called Winner Learn, and I'm actually working on the paperback version of this. And uh, as part of the paperback, there's going to be the risk-taking experiment that goes a little deeper into how to take your risks. And uh, I'm super pumped about this. I'm super excited about all of this. So the universal rejection truth, which is in this Winner Learn book, says not everyone and everything's could always respond to you the way you always want. And I know. I might have said something that you didn't appreciate or have a different point of view about. And I know the universal rejection truth says not everybody's going to always respond the way I want. And uh, I'm really open. If you have feedback, I, I just ask, please offer it in a, in a, in a kind way. Um, you know, even if it's not kind, I'll still, I'll still read it. It just feels a little better. Uh, and when you are offering feedback to other people uh, to really take a beat, take a breath and try to process in a responsive way so that you can engage in conversation as opposed to conflict. I've been, so many people have been wanting to engage in conflict with me and I want to engage in conversation. And I think it's a really healthy way to approach our lives, our friendships, and just the world we're in right now. I hope you've enjoyed this. I would love your feedback and please share this with your friends, subscribe. I post this on YouTube as well. Let me know what you think of this format and uh, I'm in your corner. I'm grateful to be here. All right, until next time, thanks everybody.